Hey, thank you for joining us online today. We are so glad that you've joined us. Every week, people uh, from all over the world are watching with us. So we're glad today that you're here with us as we proclaim God's gospel and God's word. Uh, before we get started today, we want to let you know that this sermon is not meant to replace uh, the local and biblical community that you need to be a part of and the local church that you need to be involved in. This uh, sermon is supplemental uh, to you sitting under the care of a local church pastor um, and the care of a local church family. Uh, because Christianity is not about individual persons, it is about a people, it is about the church. So if you live anywhere in around the Middle Tennessee area, we would love for you to join us at one of our local campuses. Um, if you live outside of that area, we'd love to connect you to a good church. Uh, if you'll reach out to us through Facebook, through Twitter, Instagram, if you'll email us, we want to help you find a good, healthy, uh, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that you can connect to, that you can plug into, and you can find life and live sin. So we want to help you do that. We pray that hope that this sermon and these messages bless you, and you please reach out to us and let us know how we can help. Bible. I'm going to ask you to grab that. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. We've been in this chapter for the last couple weeks. Uh, we, we've talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000, uh, which was, it talks about 5,000 men, which is probably closer to 10 to 15,000 uh, people that he fed. Then we talked about uh, Jesus getting in your boat as uh, he, he walked on the water and calmed the storm, and then they, they, they arrived at the land in which they were going. This was last week, if you remember. Uh, today, we're going to finish up chapter 6, so if you're pretty good at math, it's verse 23 through 71, okay? So uh, that's 50 verses. Now, this is the part that's awesome if you're an associate pastor, okay? Uh, when someone hands you a task of doing 50 verses in, you know, 35, 40 minutes, minutes. Um, the good thing about it is if you're cool with it and everything goes well today, I get all the credit, right? If not, RC gets all the blame, okay? And so please direct any emails his way. Uh, you can maybe go ahead and text your boss, tell him you're going to be a little late tomorrow. Uh, but the good news is you're going to be caught up on your reading plan, okay? So uh, uh, we'll be in John chapter 6, and uh, we're going to read these 50 verses. Most commentators would break this into several sections, um, and, and I guess because I'm young and dumb, I accepted this task. So, uh, so we're going to try to tackle it all today. But the good news uh, about this is that I think we learned some incredible things this morning. Jesus, in these verses that we're going to see, he lays before us a statement that is, uh, it, it's a beautiful statement that's packed full. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And what I want to look at in our time to get today to kind of give you a map of where we're going to go is uh, three truths I believe are embedded in this passage. He's, when we look at what Jesus says, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever uh, believes in me will never thirst. I believe we see three uh, truths that I think are life-altering when we put our minds around these things. The first is this, that Jesus as the bread of life saves. Second thing is that he satisfies. And the final, and finally, is that he secures. Okay? Saves, satisfies, secures. That's what we're going to look at today in our time. And so uh, I would have you stand for the reading of God's word, but we would have some literal fallout uh, in here. So I'm just going to read these verses, and I'm going to ask you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen, uh, starting in verse 22 of chapter 6. It says this. It says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
Other boats now come for, uh, came from Tiberias uh, near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, on the Son of Man, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave uh, you the bread from heaven, but, the, but, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I, would, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but, it, it, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will, be all, they, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life, and I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him as the Father sent me. And I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now when many of the disciples heard it, 
They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do not, do you take offense at this? Then, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But I have spoken to you, but, but, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one comes to the Father unless it is granted him by the Father. After, many, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you have the words of eternal life, and, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I pray that God would bless the reading of his word this morning as we, uh, as we dive in. I think it's helpful for us uh, as, we, as we open up today. Um, and listen, you made it through 50 verses. Uh, I think it's uh, helpful for us as we dive in to consider a little bit of the backstory, a little bit of what's kind of happening right now contextually. Jesus is at maybe the height of his, uh, of his ministry. This is really from this point on, he begins to say these, the first of, uh, of seven I am statements. To, today he, we see him say, I am the bread of life. Now, from this point forward, this is kind of the, the, the pinnacle of his ministry. It gets bad for Jesus after this. Even you see some of his disciples, some of his beloved people that would uh, link arms with him and, and man, would, would march with Jesus, uh, walk away, it says in the text. Um, Jesus had just come off of feeding 5,000, which I told, I told you at the beginning, it was more like 15 to 20,000. Uh, so multitudes are coming. Uh, Jesus had he, uh, turned water into top shelf wine. He had, walked, uh, uh, he had walked on the water. He had shown himself to be God in, 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 in his activity and in his teaching. Uh, and, and this gets pretty tough for the people involved. Right? They have to begin identifying Jesus Christ as the true Son of God. Is he who he says he is? Right? And so uh, he just comes off of feeding these uh, 5,000 here. And uh, the people, it says, uh, man, love him so much, they, they were potentially about to take him by force to be their king. Jesus perceives this and uh, it says just before we dive into our text that he uh, sends the 12, uh, his 12 disciples in a boat, says, y'all go to Capernaum. I'm withdrawing from the people. I'm going up on the mountain to pray. So he goes up on the mountain to pray. And the next day, the people still like, man, probably full off of the bread they ate the day before are looking for a new sign. They go looking for this bread giver and they see that, that, that Jesus is gone. He's gone. Where, where did he go? Where did he go? So Jesus up on the mountain prays. And what's important about this is if you have to understand, if Jesus was going to walk to Capernaum, uh, he couldn't get there without walking past the people, which probably motivates him to walk on the sea. Right? They don't understand this. So when they get to the, t the tabernacle in Capernaum, they come to him. They say, Jesus, uh, when, when did you get here? Not how did you get here. When did you get here? Okay. And, uh, and, and Jesus says this. It says this right before he gets in there. It says that these people in verse 24 came seeking Jesus. And Jesus says something to them in the verses that follow that I think still echoes and needs maybe to echo, not only in this room, but in many of our hearts today. He says that, in essence, I fed your stomach so that you would trust me to feed your soul. He says, I am the bread 
of life. I am the bread of life. So today, what I want want us to consider is what does that mean? What does it actually mean that Jesus says he's the bread of life? What are the implications for, for, for us What are the implications that this text applies to our lives? And and, and as we look at this this morning, specifically, I want to look at what Jesus teaches us about how this bread, this better bread, saves, satisfies, and secures. Let's deal with the first. The bread of life saves. The bread of life saves. You you know, before we could ever truly be satisfied in anything, before we could ever find true eternal satisfaction and security, we must first be found in Christ Jesus. We must first have saving faith. So the bread of life saves. So they find Jesus in the tabernacle uh, in this text, and, uh, and they press him on his travel arrangements. Jesus, when did you get here? When did you get here? And Jesus comes back to him, and he says, you're not coming looking for me. You want, you want another round of bread, right? You, you're, you came looking for, for food that perishes. You're working for food that perishes. He says, stop. Stop working for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So he kind of stops them mid-sentence uh, in their tracks. And, uh, and I want you to look at their response. Because I think this is the, some of the same response, maybe, uh, or at least the posture of our hearts. Many of us came in here with today. John 6, 28 through 29 says this, says, what must we do? They come to him and say, well, then what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus says, stop working for this food that will perish. He says, but for eternal, uh, for, for the food that is eternal, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So they misunderstood him to, to, to understand that he said, work, like, stop working for things that perish and start working for some eternal things. So then they said, well, what do we do? Right? What do we do, Jesus? What do we do? How can we start working? What can we start doing? So uh, they ask a very important question. In essence, what they're asking is, how can we be made right with God? How are we saved? How are we brought into right standing before a holy God? How are we we saved? At the heart of this question, I want you to understand that this, it reveals or Jesus exposes the same kind of skewed uh, ideology that every other religious system apart from Christianity embraces. What can we work? How can we busy ourselves? How can we tip the scales forcibly by our hand in our favor? Right? This is is what many of us, or in many religious systems, and maybe many of us in this room today came in asking, how what can I do today to earn God's favor? Right? What can I do? What what prayer can I pray? What activity can I kind of put into action in my life? What routine can I take on? What small group can I join? What service area can I, can I link up with? What one-day offering can I give to? And Jesus, I think, wants to cut down this thought. I think he wants to deal with this thought process. And he says to them, this is the work of God that you believe. That you believe. Now, please, I want to make sure, kind of caveat, I want to make sure you understand that what Jesus is saying is not that our salvation here is apart from works. Some of you are like, what? Right? Not that our salvation is apart from works. The question is not, are we saved apart from works, but are we sa- by whose works are we saved? See, that's the, that's, the, that's the right question. Whose works do we place faith in? Our, our own? Our own doing? Our own hand? 
or Christ. Christ's work, Christ's atonement, Christ's sinless sacrifice in our place. The Bible says that our, our works are like dirty or filthy rags before the Lord. So our working bears nothing before the king of glory. It is only, the only, the only working that catches the eye of the father is the working of his son. Right? The sinless savior crucified in our place. I wear a, a, a wristband that I have for a couple years now. And I always have to get a new one every time we're in the mall. You see the little kiosk, the Tetelestai bracelets. Uh, every time I do, go on a mission trip, some kid steals it from me, okay? And, and so I, I give it to him. And, uh, and then I have to repent because I had a, you know, I don't know, anyway, angry in the moment. Um, but uh, but I, w- I wear this wristband to be reminded of this. That, listen, guys, Jesus said his last words on the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. Now, what was finished? What was finished was the work required for man to be brought near to the, to, to the throne of God, be brought near to be able to stand in right relationship with the Father. That was the work that was finished in that moment. And so what Jesus is saying is not that our salvation is accomplished apart from works, but, but that we would understand whose work it is that, that, that is required for salvation by faith. So when they ask, what works make us right? Jesus said the work of God is that you believe in him who he sent. See, we're saved by faith, not our working. And I want you to write this down. In fact, faith is believing or trusting in Jesus' working. That's what faith is. Right? It's not, it's not trusting in, uh, we don't say have faith in your ability to merit or your ability to uh, earn or your ability to uh, impress. It's placing faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. When Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, went to the cross in our place, spread his arms, took the nails, took the the lashings, the crown of thorns, and he offered up his life in that moment when he said, it is finished. For all of those in here that have placed faith in Jesus Christ's death in that moment, not only his death, but his resurrection and our hope that, that he will come again in glory, what happens in that moment is that all the strife, all the working, all the toiling that we do by trying to fill our lives with Christian activities are, are halted, right? And what Jesus says is that if you would place faith in the working of myself in your stead, I will bring you near to God. So the position, the posture of the believer is not, man, look, God, and look at, look at my ledger, look at my, my Christian resume, look at all the stuff that I've done for you, look at how much I've, I've given uh, to your church, look at how many time, look how many camp bracelets I have, or VBS t-shirts, look at how many, you know, praise team dances I've memorized. It, all of that is wood, hay, and stubble before the Lord. What he will do when he looks on his saints is he'll look on them and say, I see Matt not in his marred past, which is jacked, right? Not Matt in his imperfection. I see Matt standing covered in my son, which pleases me. The work is done. The work is done. They didn't get it. <laughs> Imagine that. So in 630, they say, okay, all right, Jesus. Well, then what sign are you going to do that we might believe you? Now, Moses, uh, man, Moses gave us bread to eat for 40 years. He made it rain down uh, angel food cake on uh, our fathers for 40 years. What trick are you going to do that we might believe who you are? And I just, I just wanted to stop for a moment and just consider how forgetful are we? 
How forgetful are we? We so often uh, give so much credit to Satan and what he's brought against us and what trial we're walking in and how, you know, what, what uh, temptations we're wrestling with. And we so, uh, so often forget to recount all that Jesus has done. Right, his faithfulness to us, the health that he's given us, the provision uh, we get to step into every day with a job that puts food on the table, the ability to come and to gather uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that is not persecuted, a way that is free, in a way that is uh, open without fear of, of uh, some kind of uh, resistance or some kind of uh, outside force trying to shut this down. Right, we step into so many blessings every day, yet we forget. And I think this is true of these Israelites, these Jews here. They forget, and so they said, Jesus, what are you going to do? Right? What are you going to do? Jesus had just performed miraculous healings. He had turned water into some uh, wine. He had left them stuffed off an appetizer, and they want more. I think this teaches us an important spiritual lesson. I don't want us to blow by. That listen, listen to me. Uh, no amount of evidence, no amount of reasoning can make you believe. You're not going to argue anybody to faith. There's not a Facebook post that's going to regenerate a heart. Right? There's no debate that's going to uh, open someone's eyes to the reality of who Jesus is. Because belief is not what you see with your eyes. Belief is what you see and behold with your heart. The scripture says that apart from Christ first working on us, our hearts are dead. They can't see and behold Jesus as Lord. We'll get to that in a moment. And then Jesus says, I'm not interested in being your city chef, okay? So then he lays before them this beautiful, this beautiful, stunning uh, text where he says, I am the bread of life. Listen, you're coming, you're looking for stuff that perishes. I'm not going to do a trick for you. It was my father who made it rain down in that desert for 40 years. He said, look at me. I am the bread you're looking for. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. He said, you're looking at the better bread. I'm the bread you're looking for. And this, this term, he says, when I'm the bread of life, this, this word life in the Greek is this word zoe, which means spiritual life. He says, I'm, I, I'm not just here to fill your stomachs. I'm here to fill your soul. He said, I, I offer something much greater than this bread your, your fathers, your ancestors were eating, picking up from the sand and eating. Listen, they chowed down for 40 years and still died. Whoever eats of this will never die. Will never die. He says, the bread you're looking for is merely earthly, but if you'd come to me, the bread I, I give freely leads to eternity. And he ramps up this metaphor with some language that some of you were probably like, if you're walking dead, you're like, yeah, right? Like, Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Right? <laughs> you read this, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In the, in the very next uh, kind of stanza there in verse uh, 53 through 54, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, 58 and 59, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So what is Jesus saying? This is not a cannibalistic anthem. What Jesus is communicating is this continuation of his I, I am the bread of life statement. But he's making it very personal. And, and honestly, in, in the scene where this teaching is happening in the tabernacle, this would have been uh, abrasive to some. right? You, you weren't supposed to drink blood and eat flesh. 
All right, so, so Jesus is saying, I don't care about all of that. He said, I need you to understand. I am the bread of life. And what I, want, I think he wants us to understand today is that unless you, he says, unless you come to me, unless you believe in me, unless you, his point is, unless you devour me, unless it's all of you for all of me, you have no spiritual life. You're not redeemed, he says. And so I think what he does here is he's, he steps into this narrative that plays out in many of our churches today of what we call, uh, tongue-in-cheek, fair-weather Christians. Right, people that, uh, man, we, we come in when everything's great. When, you know, we're singing our favorite songs and, man, we're hearing sermons that make us feel a little better about ourselves than we did coming in. Uh, man, when, when the carpet color is like, you know, Joanna Gaines approved. Uh, when the lights hit me in the eyes just right, make my skin tingle and, you know, whatever. Right, when, when everything's going great. Man, we're all on, we're on board. But the moment that I have a confrontation with a church member, I'm bailing to the next thing. The, the moment that, uh, that the sermon kind of steps on a place in my life that uh, I've been struggling, instead of dealing with it and laying it for the cross of Christ and saying, God, would you apply grace and mercy in, in, on this area of my life? We bail. We, we want to go hear a new, a new trick, right? We want to go see a new sign. What Jesus says here is that, that that is not saving faith. He says, if, you, if it's not all of you for all of me, then it's none of me. Listen, church, I, I want to make sure you hear something. We need to begin to open our eyes maybe uh, a little bit more than we do uh, of who it is that we approach, who it is that we worship, who is the subject of our songs and our sermons. Jesus Christ shares no throne with anything. He is not interested in a one-foot-in, one-foot-out allegiance or some split devotion. He demands all of you, all of you for all of him. There is no alternative. This is what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, I'm the bread of life, but if you want to take from me, it's all of me for all of you. All of me for all of you. And this is how this plays out. Let's talk... Uh, Let's talk kind of application for a moment. Does he determine uh, your calendar? Is your calendar built around him as a place of centrality? Or, or does he kind of orbit your, your desires, your extracurriculars? Now listen, I know that that's tough. Let's acknowledge it. I, I, I get that that's tough. But I don't think Jesus would understand I don't think he just, we're, we're just going to change his, well, listen, you, just, oh, you don't understand my circumstance. He says, I am the sovereign king of the world, hung every star in its place, stepped out of glory, and was pierced for your transgressions. And you want to talk circumstance? Bow before me. It's all of me for all of you. All of me for all of you. Has he changed the way that you live? Has he changed your disposition to the sin that you so quickly coddle up to and run back to? Or, or do you, because of understanding the grace of, of the cross applied to you and what Jesus has accomplished in your place, do you hate your sin more today than you did yesterday? Right? Has he changed you? It's all of him for all of you. There's not this one foot out, one foot in kind of dance that we play often. Listen, the bread is free, but it's not cheap. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. And this is the essence, I think, of being truly regenerate. When our hearts are truly regenerated and we have, uh, God opens our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is, what he's accomplished by no working of our own. 
when we've devoured the bread of life and believed in the Savior behind the signs, our entire life reorients. All of it. Our finances, our marital life, the way we parent, the things we, the things we buy, all of it's reoriented. It's all run through a lens of this is bring much glory to Christ. And Jesus, it says, he perceives their unbelief. So then he makes another statement that's not so popular, but it's very true. Uh, a statement that pulls back the curtain of their rejection. A curtain of why did the disciples in this text walk away? Well, he says that all that the Father give me come to me. All that the Father gives me comes to me. And whoever comes to me, I'm never going to cast out. He adds in verse 44 there that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So what is Jesus doing here? What is he teaching about how the bread of life saves? Well, see, at the root of these verses, the question that Jesus addresses, and he wants to open our eyes this morning to see, is a question that makes some really tense. Right? Listen, it, it makes us tense. And honestly, this is not the, 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 the funnest message to preach, but we're committed to the word of God, so we're not going to gloss over it. What it teaches us is, is this, it, to walk in this, uh, or to consider this question of who does the choosing in salvation? The passage says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. So does God choose or do we choose? To both of these, Jesus says, yep. Yep. You choose Jesus, and Jesus chooses you. That's true. Right? If you look at the text, it says uh, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes shall have eternal life. Yet it also says that none come to the Son unless the Father first draws him. So there's this beautiful paradox, these two sides of the same coin that we can't divorce, right? We, we can't understand it. We can't uh, really make complete sense of it. But listen, that, that's the nature of God, isn't it? Right, that he is God, his ways are above ours. But I love, I think this makes a lot of sense. There's a, there's a man named A.W. Tozer. Some of you may know. Uh, he said something very, I think, is very clear about how we could explain this paradox. He says that come to Jesus. This is the, this is the call of Christ. This is the call of my sermon this morning. Listen, if you've not in, uh, ever walked in faith with Jesus Christ, the, the call is the same every week. Come to Jesus. But he goes on, he says, and when you arrive, turn around and thank the Father for first calling you. Come to Jesus. And when you arrive, turn around, thank the Father for first calling you. See, the scripture says, Paul says in Ephesians, he says some language. He says, uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Yeah, but what does that mean in the Greek? It means you're dead. Okay? It means you're dead. Uh, you're dead. There's no spiritual pulse. There's no heartbeat. Right? You have, if you ever uh, tried to uh, call a, a dead person to life, you can sit there. I know a lot of us have people that we've lost, and we would do anything to raise them. If it was that easy, we'd just say, hey, get up. Come on. Let's go. You're late for church. But it doesn't happen that way. There's no response. They're not sitting there with their head against the tomb waiting for someone to come up and say, hey, the, the, the stage is set. If you'll just get up now. No. It takes an outside entity reaching into a dead heart and giving it a spiritual pulse with the ability then to, the Bible says, listen to this, that faith is even a gift from God. So God reaches into our chest, gives us a spiritual pulse, gives us the faith to place in his son, opens our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is. And in that moment, when we see Jesus in all of his glory, we will call out in faith. We will. This is what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me 
all that he gives a spiritual pulse was to say, will come to me. Will come to me. Because of our sin, we're incapable of choosing God. So the great news is that if you've chosen God, which the scripture says, everyone who chooses me, or who comes to me, Scripture says, everyone who calls on my name, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John 3, 16, whoever so, uh, whosoever will believe, whosoever believes will be saved. Listen, the great news is if you've chosen the Lord, if you've made a profession of faith, the great news is that behind your choosing, before your choosing, the initiating and first act of your choosing was God's first choosing of you. God's first calling you to himself. God's first giving you to the Son. If you're a believer, this changes the game. This means you should never, ever, ever forget that your salvation was by grace alone. By grace alone. Why did he save me? When I came to faith my freshman year in college, why did he save me? I promise you, it wasn't because I gave him permission. <laughs> Jesus said, hey man, are you cool with this? No. Did he, ask, did he ask Paul on the road to Damascus? No. On his way to go murder Christians? No. The sovereign king of the universe doesn't need his created beings to uh, give him permission to do what he pleases. It wasn't, our, it wasn't my permission I gave him. It wasn't because I was deserving. It wasn't fair. What would have been fair is that I would have went to hell. That's fair. The Bible says that all of us are born separated from God. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. That sin in Romans 3.23, he says that every one of us are in the same boat. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, right? And, and in Romans 6.23, he says, and the wages, the, the payment, the penalty for that sin is death. So you want to know what fair is? Fair is that we all go to the same place, and it, it's hot, right? It's separated from God. It's separated. There's no hope. We don't want fair. We want grace. We want mercy. This is the nature of what Jesus is saying here. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will never cast them out. I will raise them up on the last day. Let that marinate for a moment. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, the great news for you is that God is not looking at the sum of your past. In fact, the Bible says that before the foundations of the world, he chose you in him. It wasn't for you. It was at the end of of Ephesians chapter 1, he says, to the praise of his glory. God called you, he predestined you, he adopted you as sons, apart from your working, apart from your deserving, uh, in fact, despite of you, for himself, for the praise of his glory. So if you're in the room today, you've never walked with Jesus Christ in, uh, in saving relationship, placing faith in his working, literally surrendering your working and your understanding that you, uh, maybe you've come to this understanding that you can't earn, you can't uh, impress, you can't merit. The, the call is the same, come to Christ. And the hope of the Bible is that we know that God has called many of us to himself. Right? This is why we're ascending church. Because God is gathering a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation across this world to himself. And it is by faith in the risen Savior that they are redeemed. So we got to take the gospel to them. Amen? All right, the second thing I want to show you is that the bread of life satisfies. It satisfies. It saves. And only when it saves can we be satisfied in, 
In John 6, 26 through 27, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. When they come to him, they press him, like, when did you get here? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you, you saw signs, but because uh, you ate your fill of the loaves. You want some more bread. Do not work for the food that perishes, which so often we do, don't we? Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. See, Jesus addresses a heart condition that is very alive and present, not only in that Capernaum tabernacle, but in this place today. See, they were thinking temporally. They wanted the stuff of Christ. They didn't want Christ. And so often, guys, that's what we do. Man. One commentator put it this way. Instead of seeing the sign in the bread, they only saw the bread in the sign. Instead of seeing the sign in the bread, instead of seeing Jesus Christ, the, 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 the bread giver, the spiritual bread giver in the bread, they only saw the bread in the sign. See, the bread all along, guys, was to draw their eyes up to the one who gave. That's the reality of blessing on our life, of the common grace of God in our life, that we would understand, man, my kids are healthy. Father, thank you. I have a job. Father, thank you. Uh, man, I have faith, not by my doing. Father, thank you. It's to draw your eyes up. Yet they settled for lesser things. They came for the bread then and today. Still many of us walk an aisle, we sit down in a chair, we maybe have graced the same chair at the creek for months and months and months, weeks and weeks and weeks, right? We, we, uh, we check a box, we, we give faithfully, we do all of these things in search of the same. Instead of coming in here anxiously with our hearts open to receive the bread of life, what we come in here looking for is we have our hands open asking for more bread. God, would you give more blessing? We want your hand. We don't care about your face. Jesus, give me health, a bigger house. God, more financial gain. God, if I come, if I, if, if I, if I drag my family in here, I don't really care if their heart, where their, where their spiritual condition is. I just want to be here because maybe, maybe God's going to give me a spouse in this place. Maybe God's going to, I'm going to network and find a job out of this place. He said, you're coming looking for bread. I'm the bread giver. I'm the bread of life. There's better bread offered. There's better bread. You want true satisfaction? I think he teaches us this morning that we need to work and pour our lives out for eternal things. That's what he says. Don't work for the, for the food that perishes, but, but for eternal, for the food that is eternal. Uh, J.C. Ryle, incredible pastor, theologian, writer, uh, wrote about this labor and this working for things that are eternal. He said, how are we to labor? How are we to labor? There's but one answer. He said, we must labor in the use of all appointed means. We must read our Bibles like men digging for hidden treasure. We must wrestle earnestly in prayer like men contending with a deadly enemy for life. We must take our whole heart to the house of God and worship and hear like those who listen to the reading of a benefactor's will. We must fight daily against sin, the world, the devil, like those who fight for liberty and must conquer or be slaves. These are the ways we must walk in if we would find Christ and be found in him. This is the laboring. This is the secret of getting on about our souls. Wow. 
Listen, Jesus didn't come into the world to give bread, guys. He came to be your bread. He didn't come into the world to, uh, he didn't come in here for you to be, to find him useful. Jesus came that you would find him precious. That he would be your satisfaction. He would be your deep-seated joy. It would be, uh, it would transcend your circumstance. It would transcend uh, even, even the blessings, the things that are, listen, it's not all doom and gloom. Some of you have, God has made it rain down blessing on your life. God said, would you give it all away? You remember the rich young ruler? Right? Would you give it all away? Sell all that you have. Follow me. Listen, is he, is he the bread that your souls crave, the, the thing that your hearts ache for? Is he your life's bread? The bread of life satisfies. And finally, the bread of life secures. The bread of life secures. In 37 to 39, he says, All that the Father gives me, and we've looked at this passage several times today, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but of the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Notice whose will it is that Jesus is, is working, that Jesus is carrying out. That I should lose nothing of all that he had given me, but raise it up on the last day. One of the most often asked questions that Jesus addresses in this text is, can I lose my salvation? How many of us have laid our head on our pillow at night after the sum of a bad decision, after arguing with our wives, after raising our voice to our kids, after being unfaithful in something, and, and say, God, what has went wrong? If I were to die tonight, you know, even, even when we... I think even when we say, yes, I believe in you know, my, my salvation, my faith alone, and God's grace alone. I think even in us, there is a very real human tendency to doubt. And I would say this, because of the language of the scripture to say our spiritual condition before Christ is that we're dead. I would even say that doubt is a great indicator of our spiritual vitality. That if we care where we stand before a holy God, I think there's some spiritual sustenance there. That God's doing something there. But beyond that, I don't want you to look at, oh, I'm down, so God, you know, I must be saved. I mean, let that be my source of assurance. You have a far greater source of assurance. In fact, Jesus' whole teaching here about how God saves, about how he, apart from our working, everything he's laid out in this text, apart from our working, he calls a people to himself that God has given all to his son, and his son has went to the cross in their place and accomplished. It is finished. To tell us their salvation, he's accomplished. It's done. It's sealed. Right? That teaching makes it possible that we could have assurance. And I want you to understand, Christian assurance is one of the distinguishing things, probably, there, there, I'll say this, there is no assurance apart from the Christian perspective of salvation. By grace alone. By faith alone. Was, I walked outside today um, and uh, saw both of my car doors open, my glove boxes gone through. Uh, that was fun this morning. The, uh, and let me just say this. It wasn't, I, I'm not going to blame the thieves completely. Okay? Uh, they didn't get anything, thank the Lord. Um, it, it would have like, it's literally like one in 10 times that I've not had a set of keys, a set of sunglasses, my backpack with, you know, laptop, all that in there. Um, but they didn't, they didn't get anything. 
Uh, but it wasn't hardly their fault. I didn't lock both car doors, okay? We get home last night with an 18-month-old, and it's just don't stir the beast. Let's just get her in her bed. Let's, like, if we can just get in here, like with both of us, you take a leg, I'll take one. We'll just lay her down, just stretch the sheet, and just lay her down, you know, however we can, put a passy in her mouth, back out of the room, right? That's it. We're just trying to survive. Okay, so we're not worried about car doors in that moment. But let me just say this. If I can't secure my own things, why would I want to secure my salvation? How good would we do? What assurance is possible? Listen, understanding that Jesus Christ works our salvation apart from us should give us this bedrock assurance that it will be kept apart from us. Right? Man, he, he tells us here, he says, I do the will of the Father. And listen, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And he goes on, he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There it is again. And this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus didn't come to do his own will. And listen to me, there is nothing more sure in this world than the sovereign will of God. If God has willed that you would come and be here today, and maybe, maybe at some point he has willed that you would place faith in his son Jesus, he will see it through that you would be glorified with him in eternity. Security is the great distinction between Christianity and all other faith pursuits. Nothing in this world is more sure. This truth should provide this humble yet confident hope in the promise of Christ that because I did nothing to earn, nothing to merit, nothing to, to favor salvation, I can do nothing to lose salvation. It was that before the foundations of the world, God looked at me with, and was pleased with me to call me to himself despite, if you could, if I could let you in on the week prior to my conversion, I wasn't knocking down doors looking for Jesus. Right? They, they came seeking Jesus, it says. But they were seeking the things of Jesus because it is not possible that we seek the heart of Jesus apart from God first seeking ours. Right? The scripture says that those whom he has called, he has justified, and just like he said it in past tense, justify, he says, and those whom he has justified, he is also past tense glorified it is this unbreakable chain the very the very fact that you are saved guarantees that you will be glorified so when you lay your head down on your pillow tonight what you need to do the, the correct posture in reflection of this text should be god thank you so much that when i was rebelling against you you were chasing me down in your son jesus when i when i continually come hands open looking for Physical bread, you offer me spiritual bread. God, thank you that you have saved me, despite me. So God, thank you that I know that the, the Christ, the sure and steady anchor, the anchor is that your salvation was accomplished by grace alone. The bread of life saves, satisfies, and secures. So what's the response to this text? Listen, sometimes it's a very, very easy, hey, listen, out of here, we're going to go sign up on this car, I need you to go do this thing. We need you to go sign up on this mission trip and go here. You know what the, the application from this pa passage is? Stand amazed. Behold the bread of life who saves, satisfies, secures. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you.
Christ Jesus, I pray that today, based on the teaching of your scripture, God, we know that all who the Father gives to you will come. So, Father, before you hung a star in the sky, you knew the sum of our mistakes, and yet in your grace you still chose to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And God, confidently I ask if there are some in this room today who have never placed faith in you, have never called on the name of your son Jesus, maybe they've been placing faith in their faith in working and faith in attendance, their faith in uh, their contribution statement. God, they've been placing faith in uh, the, the workings of their grandparents or uh, just a lineage of faith before them. Father, if they've never personally we stand in heaven. It's not going to be a communal trial, God. We will stand before you and your sovereign gaze will look at us. And either we will be covered in Christ by faith in his working or we will be naked before you in the sum of our sin. God, if there's someone in this room who's never placed faith in your son, Jesus, today, God, the call is the same. Come. Come. Believe. Respond. God, I pray that they would not let these moments pass. And these songs ahead, Father, I pray that they would move. There's, there's a, a place in the back of the room at next steps out, outside the doors to the right, Father, that we want to meet with them. We want to talk with them, God. I pray that you would move them there. God, would you help us to trust you, all of you. All of you for all of us, God. In your holy name we pray. Amen.